This past week, I went and visited a parishioner at Denver Hospice, and um, as you might imagine, it was, it was a conversation that, at least for me, left a, a, a deep impression, in part because it was a, it's a person who um, called because she's ending, well, her sister called because her sister is ending the near of her life um, from cancer, and her sister had some questions and wanted to talk to a priest. So that's dramatic to walk into, but what was even more dramatic was she's about, the mom is about my age, the sister is about my age. And in the room with her is her son, who is about the age of my children. So that sort of always kind of brings up some stuff for you, at least it does for me. I don't, um, and her son's just graduated from college and he's there. And that made quite, they're so tender to one another in that moment and the conversations they were having, the way they were caring for one another. But what made the biggest impression was to see how their lives had flipped, you know, from what it was, the way she used to care from him, to a large degree he was doing for her. Conversation went, went well, and I'll just share one portion of it out of, out of a lot more stuff. Conversation was going really well. It had gone on for a while under the circumstances. And she said to me, well, what comes next? I said, what comes next? She said, yes, what comes next? And at that moment, I realized what I thought that she meant, which is indeed exactly what she meant. I said, you mean what's on the other side? And she said, she had a sense of humor and a great mind. It has a great mind. She said, yes, Mr. Dean. <laughs> so I did the best I could um, and said, you know, because of, the, because of the resurrection, because of God, I believe it's trustworthy. I think whatever's on the other side is, is, is even more loving, even more tender, even more relational, even more just, even more mysterious than anything we could ever imagine. So it's, it's, it's trustworthy. But I've never been there. <laughs> and so I, I always try to um, leave plenty of room for God to surprise us. And I was pleased that she enjoyed that answer, and it seemed to be helpful to her, which was the entire point. We don't know why the rich man asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But I think it's safe to assume that it's not because death is imminent. In part because he runs up to Jesus, and in my experience, older people don't run. And Matthew tells this very story, just a different, the same story, and Matthew's version of this story, Matthew says that the rich man is young, in fact. And that's why the title of the story is often the rich young man or the rich young ruler. But neither Mark nor Matthew tell us exactly why he asks this question. But for whatever reason he asked it, his, his question does provoke um, two of the most famous sayings from Jesus. One why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Fascinating. And a theological conundrum. And go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and follow thou me. 
before we think about what Jesus asked this guy to do, and perhaps us to do in our own way, I do want to pause and think for a moment about eternal life and eternity and how we should imagine it, and perhaps most importantly, probably how we shouldn't imagine it. I vividly remember about almost 20 years ago now, I had a a parishioner's husband who died, and he belonged to a different denomination, so I went to the service at at this other church. And the guy who died was both a very faithful Christian and an avid golfer. And the preacher preached, and the burial sermon kind of reached its crescendo, which was this, I can see him now hitting a hole-in-one on the heavenly golf course. Now, I know that's, I knew then and I know now that's simplistic and a little too literal, especially for Episcopalians. <laughs> but, but I will tell you, there's a part of me that can, can appreciate that sentiment, not because I'm a golfer, but I do love to snow ski, and there is this one shoot at the top of Steamboat that if I can do it in heaven, I will be plenty happy. Because <laughs> I can't do it on earth. <laughs> and that might be the way this rich young man is thinking about eternity in heaven. Because he, the verb, the word he... What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And it seems like if he's rich, he could have inherited his wealth. And it seems like that's kind of how he thinks about heaven, as a kind of inheritance by blood or right. And there are all kinds of problems with that. One of the biggest theologically, they're ethical problems, but the biggest theological problem is it just is a way of kind of imagining the afterlife or what comes next or eternity as kind of more of the same, just better and maybe a lot better, um, especially for my skiing. <laughs> and that, that's just not quite enough. It's just not quite enough in terms of thinking about it that way. There's a theologian that I love whose work is really dense, but she's not dense. or It's, it's really great. But, and she has just these nuggets of wisdom. And she says in this great chapter, an essay that's called The End. And it's an essay on the end, which makes me think or hope that she has a sense of humor. But in this essay, she says, or chapter, she says, eternal life should not be imagined as the endless continuation of present existence. Her name is Catherine Tanner. She's an Episcopalian. Eternal life should not be imagined as the endless continuation of present existence. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Or to put it in another way, let's leave plenty of room for God to surprise us. At the end of this story, the rich young ruler does not do what Jesus asked him to do, and he goes away because he had many possessions. I do wonder what he did a week or two later, or a month later, or two years later, or ten years later, or a generation later. We don't know how his story ends. Maybe one day he got it. Maybe one day he became more generous. Maybe one day he began to imagine God in eternity as having nothing to do with what he had inherited or maybe nothing to do with his own wealth or nothing to do with his own powers and privileges. Maybe he got it one day. I hope he did. This passage has been taken literally by people. 
Last Sunday, we did the blessing of the animals in commemoration of St. Francis of Assisi, who loved creation and was a Franciscan, started the Franciscan order. And it was this very passage that Francis, who was wealthy by birthright and was due for a large inheritance upon his father's death, renounced all of that and started this community whose vows are poverty, chastity, and obedience. For a less religious example, but one I think is just fascinating, um, did any of you see the story this week, past week, um, about Gail Benson, the owner of the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Pelicans? So she owns the NBA and the NFL team, and she is um, not nearing the end of her life, but, but in the next decade or so. And she's worked out a deal where upon her death, the teams will be sold. They will stay in New Orleans, which is great news for New Orleans, and that all of the proceeds from that sale will go to nonprofits in New Orleans, her beloved city. And what she said when the ESPN writer interviewed her is, I can't take it all with me. <clears throat> How you and I are faithful to this passage is, is, is different, of course, and less dramatic, but nonetheless meaningful. It's an invitation for us to be generous, not just with ourselves and our ideas and our personalities, but to be generous with what we have, with our wealth, with our possessions. This week, all of you are going to receive pledge cards. Pledge cards will be in, this chair, in, the, in the chairs and online for, for, for weeks. And giving a pledge to the cathedral is, is one way of being generous, of one way of, of remembering that what God asks of us is not just our personalities and our faith and our love, but to share of what we have. And I think this passage is also an invitation for us to begin praying now and thinking now about a meaningful pledge, not just meaningful for the cathedral, but meaningful for you. But this passage is not a stewardship sermon. And trust me when I tell you that I wish that it was. <laughs> the passage in Jesus' language nearing the end is also about God. And this incredible other saying in this famous from Jesus, for God or with God is the translation I love. With God, all things are possible. Camels will make it through the eye of a needle. Gil Benson will sell, sell, the, sell the saints and they'll stay in New Orleans and give it all away. The rich will become generous. The unimaginative will begin to trust. With God, all things are possible. It's, it's about God, not just us, and how God in Christ is, is always and continually giving of God's own self, that God is always giving more, always giving more truth, always giving more beauty, always giving more mercy, always giving more justice, always giving more love, always giving more community. And that's why eternal life is not only about what happens on the other side. It's also about this side, too.